Welcome to our seminar and uh, preaching that builds the church. We have given a seminar in the past, Preaching with Passion, and this is not a repeat of that. This will be a, something a little bit different than what we normally uh, give concerning that title. Our focus will be on the theme that's been given for our Shepherds Conference week, Building Christ Church. So we're talking about preaching that builds the church. I'd like you to open your Bibles to the second epistle of Timothy, chapter 3, and then also part of chapter 4, a very familiar passage for us. I'd like to invite our men in the back. We have a few seats that are here available, some here in the front, and then we have a hall, hallway here and a hallway here if you'd like to stand. Welcome to come in and just take advantage of the seminar. 2 Timothy chapter 3 will be our text, starting with chapter 3, verse 14. The Apostle Paul says, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come, When they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for your word. We ask your blessing upon our time together. May you be our instructor. May you be the one that searches our hearts. May you expose any area in our life that needs to be dealt with this hour. May we also pray that you equip us for the work of building your church. We commit ourselves to you and your servant in particular. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In a recent edition from Preaching Magazine, there's an article that I thought would be a great introduction to our our seminar. It says here, several years ago, Donald Miller wrote, quote, If Protestantism ever dies with a dagger in its back, the dagger will be the Protestant sermon. Unfortunately, Miller was onto something. It is no secret that mainline Protestantism is on a steep decline. Some leaders tap dance around the issue, but as they say, even if you put lipstick on a pig, it is still a pig. (laughs) The church is not the pig, but the statistics are ugly and mainline preachers have no one to blame but themselves. It feels better to blame cultural shifts. Old, stubborn churches and outdated ministry techniques are reasons for the mainline church's demise. But let's get real. Although those reasons have played a role, the deadly dagger is over 40 years of weak and ineffective preaching. 
The reality is people are drawn and attach themselves to churches with effective preachers. Recent studies by Pew and Gallup show that the number one reason people choose a church and remain there is the quality of the preaching. So Miller was right. While many pastors and leaders have been been preoccupied with ministry fads and church trends, they have neglected their primary role as preachers. They have forgotten that bold and passionate proclamation is what sets a church on fire and keeps it burning. The result of all this, he says, is dying mainline churches. Caught my attention because it isn't just mainline churches that are dying. It is also churches that we come from. Evangelical churches that have the Bible, that have sound theology, and yet they, they seem to be dying. We have thousands of churches every year that close their doors, close their doors and shut, never to open again. And so there's a sense where the, the preacher becomes the spiritual undertaker. He's the pastor that stands in the pulpit and gives the church the last rites and puts it out of commission. And sometimes the blame is placed someplace else, like the man said, on fads, etc. But I submit to you that what we just quoted was, that was right on. It's the preaching. It's the preaching that is, that is key to building the church. And so I'd like to, for a few moments, think about that. And, and the Apostle Paul gives us the text here. This, this text, when read properly, as we'll read it and look at it, provides for us the solution to dying churches provides a solution to decline in our churches. And it's the way for us to build the church. We'll examine from the text three thoughts this afternoon. Number one, we'll talk about the type of preacher that builds the church. You know, there are preachers and then there are preachers. And there's a type of preacher that, that can build the church, designed to build the church. We'll also look secondly at, at the message, the content of the preaching. It's the content of the preaching that that will build the church. And the Apostle Paul gives us here the content of preaching that results in the building up of the body of Christ, building up of the church. And then we'll examine also the type of preaching that results in the building of the church. So not just the preacher, not just the content, but also the preaching itself, the type of preaching that results in the building of the church. So let's examine for a few moments then, first of all, the type of preacher which builds the church. You know, there are preachers and then there are preachers. And the apostle here speaks to Timothy and he reminds him that, that he needs to be a certain type of man, a certain type of individual. The, 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 the pastor that takes a church and builds it up is a certain type of individual. And we have some glimpses of it in the first epistle and second epistle that Paul writes to Timothy. Let me submit to you three of these just to identify preachers that actually are responsible for the building of the church. Number one, he, he must have a sense of calling, a sense of calling. We get that impression from chapter 4, verse 1, where he prefaces by saying, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Man, if anything should cause a man to sit up straight would be this, these particular words. To have somehow the aged apostle address, the, address Timothy and, and to 
and to call him to attention. Reminds him again, he does it twice before in the first epistle and second epistle to remind him that, Timothy, you need to recognize that you're a called man. You're a called man. He told him in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, he says, don't, don't neglect the spiritual gift that's been given to you. Listen, Timothy, you're a called man. God called you, you responded to the call. And then when he began this epistle in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, you know, you've allowed the... You've allowed your zeal, you've allowed the sense of calling to diminish. And you can't, you can't allow that, Timothy. You're a called individual, you're a called man. And you know, gentlemen, what kills our churches many times is that we have men in the pulpits that are really not called. Yeah, they are. They are what Jesus identified as hirelings. They do it for the money. They do it for the prestige. They do it for the honor. They do it as a hobby. But it's not a calling. And Jesus says, you know, there are hirelings, and there, then there's the true shepherd. And the true shepherd is marked because he lays down, finish it, his life for the sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. And, and a called man, a man that, that's going to build the church, is a man that's not a hireling, but he's man, a man that's called, that's willing to die if he needs to. For the flock of God, because he knows that's the calling that God has given to him. If you turn to chapter 2 of 2 Timothy in verse 1, you'll notice there's a second quality that identifies a, a preacher that builds the church, a man of God that builds the church, and it's a man who is empowered by the Spirit of God. He says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the what? Grace that is found in Christ Jesus. He says you need to be a man that, that is, in essence, anointed. Anointed in the sense where he draws his strength, he draws his power, he draws his courage from God. God is the one that strengthens him. He's a man that is plugged into God. A, a man that's plugged into the source, which is God himself. Be strong in the grace that is found in Christ Jesus. Reminding us that, that, that our preaching cannot depend upon our human abilities. It can't depend upon our charisma. It can't, upon, can't depend upon anything that this world has to offer us. It must depend entirely upon God himself. Follow me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 for just a moment. In chapter 2 of 1, Timothy, of 1 Corinthians, you recall our Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul saying, he said, when I came to you, the brethren, I, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him, what? Crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. And here's why so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but where? On the power of God. You know, we ask sometimes, you know, why don't my converts last? People, you know, come to church and they hear me preach and they, they don't hang around long enough because they come for the wrong reasons. You preach for the wrong reasons. He says, you know, we need to preach for the demonstration of the spirit and power of God, that they would see that God is speaking, that the Lord's speaking to us, speaking through you. And so he says that man is going to build the church as this type of person, a person who draws his strength, 
a man who has his entire life, his strength comes from God. He's a man that reads the word, a man that prays, a man that worships, a man that draws his strength from God. You look at a man who's whose spiritual life is robust. He is healthy. Not so much the words that come out of his mouth, not his oratory, not his charisma, not his appearance, but the man who's plugged into God. And this is the kind of man that builds the church. Thirdly, you notice in chapter 2, a third quality of the preacher that builds the church. He describes for us in verse 20 of chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, some to honor and some to dishonor. You know, there's all different types of vessels, all different types of men. There are men with great gifts, great abilities, great, uh, great giftedness from God. These are the gold and silver vessels. Then there are the rest of us, you know, vessels of clay, you know, wood. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Uh, broken jars, you know what I'm saying? The old abandoned peanut jar, you know? That's who we are. And so he says, listen, but the key, the key, here's the key, verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good deed. See, the key is to be be a man that's holy. A preacher must be holy. A man whose life, whose life is holy. That, to make it our ambition, our ambition to be a holy vessel for God. Listen, when, when the vessel becomes unholy, when the man of God becomes unholy, when the preacher somehow becomes contaminated by various sins and issues, then Ichabod, Ichabod is written over the doorpost of the church. Ichabod is written across the, across the pulpit. No matter what he says, Ichabod, the glory has departed. It is gone. There is no more power, no more presence of God because somehow the pulpit has become polluted by the way the man has lived his life. Now, you know, we... Some, some men lose their power because they become involved in gross sins about the, the kind that we hear about, gross immorality, gross infidelity, just a love of money and, 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 and stealing, etc. All these things that come into... But, but, but sometimes the things that affect their lives are the other, other things that, that God speaks about, like in Hebrews 12, the besetting sins and the stuff that easily entangles us. These like barnacles on a ship, they, they grow on us and we don't deal with it. And eventually they sink the ship. Sins, my dear brothers, that we wrestle with, wrestle with all the time. The sins of jealousy and strife, the sins of sloth, the sins of anger and bitterness, the sins of apathy and worldliness that creep on us. And this, uh, this is also unholy. It is an unholy life, and this can eventually come and, and plague and affect our lives. You know, this just recently, uh, we saw the home going of Dr. Billy Graham, 99 years old, and God took him home. Now, you know, we may disagree on his methodologies, but I want you to think of his life. Even the unbelievers, even the infidels, honor, 
recognized and respected him for the way that he lived. He was not like other evangelists. He was not the Elmer Gantries of his generation. He kept himself unstouched and unspotted from this world. And so he's a man that was able to speak to the world. And the world heard him because he was a man that kept himself in this act before their eyes as holy. And so, you know, they, they met, his team met in Modesto. And they, they formed a Modesto Manifesto, where they sat together as, a, as his team, and they, they took these four pillars, financial accountability, never be accused of graft or of taking money illegally. They, they resolved that they would have moral purity, moral purity. And Billy Graham was very careful in, in the way he lived his life. Mike Pence just recently you know, came under fire because he imitated Mr. Billy Graham and the way he protected himself in, in regards to moral purity, in the way that they were fair with the media, always honest with the media, and then finally honoring the local church, the Modesto Manifesto. There ought to be perhaps among us also a, a Shepherd's Conference Manifesto, where we resolve before we leave this week, leave this place this week, resolve that we ourselves will keep ourselves unspotted and unstained by this world. We may, not, we may not preach like angels, but we can live like angels. Talk to me now, see? This is what it's about. And so this is the type of man that is going to make an impact on, on the church. So this is, in other words, this is what, what God is speaking about. Now follow me back to chapter, chapter 4. Because you see, not only is it the type of preacher that is going to bring about a a sense of, of growth in the local church, but also, may I say, it's the content of his preaching. What does he preach? What, what consumes the bulk of his preaching? What, is, what does he talk about? What does he expound? What is his message? You know, and Paul is very clear here in, in, verse, in verse 2 of chapter 4. Three simple words. What are they, gentlemen? I didn't hear you. I still didn't hear you. Preach the word. Preach the word. That's, that's it. You know, this is the admonition to preach the word. This supplies everything you need to build the church. If you're going to build the church, you're going to build it on the preaching of the word. And it's got to be a conviction of yours. We can't just give it lip service. It's got to grab our, our hearts and our souls. It's something you need to believe with all your heart. That your message, your only message is a preaching of the word. You know, it's sad to see our, even our so-called Bible churches and evangelical churches, you know, they, they're, they're moving the, the preaching of the word away. Now we have more, more worship and longer songs and more activity taking place. We condense, we condense the preaching from a 45 minutes now to 25 minutes to 20 minutes to 15 minutes. Sermonettes for Christianettes. <laughs> what, what, what is this? What's going on here? And you wonder why the church dies. Well, friend, you can always draw a crowd with a rock, with a rock band. You know what I'm saying? You, you get some famous rock person, you'll draw a crowd, but how long are they going to stay? You want to be able to have the preaching of the word. And the only way the word can be the content of your preaching is you need to have the conviction that it is the very word of God. 
the nature of the Word of God, have the conviction concerning the nature. It is the very Word of God. Apostle Paul says in chapter, chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is inspired by God. And the word, therefore, inspired is one simple Greek word, theopneustos, breathed out by God. He breathed it out. This book in your hand has been breathed out by God. And every single word from A to Z, from beginning to end, it is the very word of God. You know, you're in a, in a, in a, in a place here. We have a seminary here, the Master's Seminary, and we recommend it to you. It is the finest seminary in the world, in existence. But there's a class here that, offered by, that was offered by Dr. Thomas, who's now with the Lord, in New Testament Introduction. It should be a freshman class, but it is so difficult and so deep that it's only offered at the senior year. Because you offered in the freshman year, nobody would come back. <laughs> They'd quit. It is a thick class. And I recall taking that class and just struggling with looking at all the manuscripts and all the different manuscripts and families of manuscripts that have come down through the ages, all the proofs and evidence that what you have in your hand is the very Word of God. All those things. And you read and, and you had to recite and give all these different things. And I came, I just, my head was spinning. And when, and when I was done with the class, all I know is this, that as a result of all of that, I know that what you have in your hand here is the very Word of God. May no doubt about that. And so this is what you need to know. Understand that this Word is inspired by God. Paul said in chapter 3, they are called the sacred writings. The Word of God is written with the finger of God. It's, they're sacred. They are holy. They are so holy. I don't know about you, men, but for me, the Bible, the Word of God is, for me, it's the Word of God. And it's, uh, I treasure it. I'm uh, maybe a little bit even superstitious because for me, nothing is ever on top of my scriptures. Amen. Nothing. Not my glasses, not another book, not a cookie, <laughs> nothing, nothing. For me, it's the very Word of God. It is the book of books. It is there. You see, friends, you, for, for this book to be your main text, it's got to be something that you hold absolutely sacred, that both preacher and people are accountable to the Word of God. You say, the reason why we... We don't preach the word is that some of us really don't believe it. You've not come to grips with it. Oh, it's there. We call it. We give a lip service. But is it really the word of God? Is it really the word of God? I had some sister call me one day and a long time ago, you know, years ago. And she said, you know, pastor, could you, what does the Bible say about so-and-so? So I opened the word of God and read of the text. And she said, well, is there, is there another text? I said, you don't need another text. God said it, you believe it, and it's, it's final. You don't need another text. You don't rope-a-dope through the Bible. You don't hopscotch through the Bible. You don't cut and paste the Bible, friend. Bible's there. And so you, you need to be, have the conviction as to the nature, and secondly, conviction as to the effect of the Word of God. And Paul's very clear. Listen, Timothy, it is the Word of God that saves. 
you, Timothy, were saved, when you heard the, uh, you heard the sacred writings which are able to lead you to salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. If people are going to be saved under your ministry, it'll be on the basis of, of the Word of God. You know, the Apostle Paul says, listen to the unbeliever, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. But for us that are being saved, it is called the what? Power of God. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. In other words, if, if men are going to be saved, if people are going to be saved, it'll be through the preaching of the Word of God. This Bible saves. This Bible converts. The message of this book brings men and women to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The power to change lives, friends, isn't in our counseling. Isn't it in meeting with people and, and odds and ends? It's, it's, it's in the very Word of God. You open the Scriptures and it becomes the base of salvation. Notice what it says in chapter 3 and verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is this word that sanctifies. It's the preaching of this word that, that changes people's lives. It is the one that allows us to, to be sanctified. Even Jesus Christ to his Father said, Father, sanctify them in thy truth. Your word is truth. It is the word of God that's going to go and and, 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 and change people. Some of us pastors, you know, we have trouble with our churches. We have all these people in our churches that are just, you know, they're just all full of sin and stuff, making your life miserable. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about. You know, Sister Sally and Brother John, you know, and Hermano Pepe, you know, they're all out there, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, friend, the only way, the only way they're going to they're be sanctified is the preaching of the Word. They need to be, as it says here, they need to be taught. They need to be reproved. They need to be corrected. They need to be disciplined in godliness. And, and don't tire of it. On and on and on. It is this Word that edifies. It edifies. You know, Acts 20, 20. Paul says, listen, I, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. As you can tell, I wear glasses. I don't have 20-20 vision. I don't. But when it comes to the preaching of the word, I have 20-20 vision. Because I'm preaching the whole counsel of God. And this is what builds up the church. It is the preaching of the word that builds up the church. It is, a, it is the word that, that saves. It is the word that sanctifies. It is the word that edifies. Listen, brothers, I, I've been a barrio preacher for 45 years. I began preaching in East L.A., the heart of the barrio. I mean the heart of it. Matter of fact, I even took some, se some professors from the seminary. Once there's a, there's a restaurant in East L.A. Man, yeah, they have some mean burritos. Mean ones. Yeah, I mean, they're... They easily, easily this big, you know. Yeah. You know, we, we, have some, we have some brothers right there. They've had them before, you know. And so I took the professors, a couple of them down, just to, to eat. And then we got there, and like, they were like panicked. And so they started like ducking down because like they Because they're the only, only white boys in a brown community, you know what I'm saying? 
And so they're like, scan. I said, yeah. I said, that's where we're at. It's where we're here. And you know, 45 years of, I found that after 45 years of being involved in, in barrio preaching, the only thing that changes people's lives is the preaching of the word. It's not education. It's not sociology. It's not any of that stuff. It's not changing political parties. It's not either Obama or Trump or anybody else. They come and they go. What really changes people's lives is the preaching of the word. The preaching of the word. And therefore, if we're going to build the church, you have to be committed to the preaching of the word. From A to Z, the preaching of the word. And make that the... The content of your preaching. I begin, begin usually my, my, my sermons by having people, I say, show me your Bibles. Show me your, your, your Bibles, your iPhones, your iPads, but show them to me. I want to see. Because <laughs> you have churches today where nobody brings Bibles. And if you're the kind of preacher that in your church, people don't bring Bibles, oh, my friend, oh, may Ichabod be scratched across your forehead. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what kind of man are you? Well, you know, Montoya, we just, put the, we just put the verse on the overhead. One verse on the overhead? What kind of Mickey Mouse sermon is that? Talk to me now. No, listen. You know, you want to give people the whole enchilada, you know what I'm saying? Open the whole text. Give them the meat of the word. Yeah. Sometimes I'll take, we'll go out to lunch with my, 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 my associate pastor and and, and I'll, I'll order, and then he'll come up, and he's, he's always like. <laughs> and I say, this guy wants uh, canary tongue tacos. Tacos de lengua de canario. Canary tongue tacos. You know how big a canary tongue is? Some of your sermons are like that. You know, what kind of, you know, you couldn't feed an ant with that sermon. No, friend, listen. Our churches are dying because we're not giving them the meat of the word. And because we don't, we, Paul says, preach the word. Preach the word. Very simple. Preach the word. The content of your preaching is the word of God. And so this is, this is the type of preaching that's going to build the church. Now, you need to believe that because if you don't, you're going to try that. And you begin to preach the word and nothing seems to happen. And you preach it and preach it and preach it and and nothing seems to happen. Well, friend, you got to keep at it. Keep at it. Because God promised to bless his word. In the long run, he will. And so we spoke about the, the, the type of preacher that God uses to build the church. We also focused on the actual, the actual content of the sermon that builds the church. Now let's talk about for a few moments on the type of preaching that results in the building of the church. So you see, there are, there are types of sermons, and then there are types of sermons. And just because you call yourself an expositor, doesn't mean you're really an expositor. It's because you call yourself a preacher, doesn't mean you're a preacher. It's because you open the Bible and read it, and then talk about it. It may, may not be a sermon. You know, there's, and I made a list of some, some, bad, some bad types of sermons. For example, there's six of these that I want to just identify, like the empty sermon. The empty sermon, it's all words, but nothing comes out. You know, just a lot of words. It's like the old Indian. The old Indian was watching this guy preach out west. 
And when he got done, the guy said, so how did you like him? Pah! He says, a lot of cloud, a lot of thunder, but no rain. <laughs> you know, there has to be some rain, people. And some of you have the gift of gab, but that ain't preaching. Uh, and then there's the deep sermon. Deep sermon. Deep Greek. Deep Hebrew. Eris participle. Yoda subscript. You know what I'm saying? All these, all these words. And people are impressed with your intellect. You're like the old doctor that speaks and gives a diagnosis using all these terms. No one knows what they're talking about. And so you come out like, wow, our pastor sure is intelligent. What do you say? I have no clue what he said. <laughs> even, even Spurgeon talked about, about this. He said, you guys are like deep preachers, like a deep well. But there's nothing down there but an old cat and an old shoe down there. It's all it is. <laughs> so, you know, you're, the pulpit is no place to impress anybody. We're not here to impress anybody. We're here to make sure people understand what God is saying here. We're just the transferring over of the information. Make sure they understand. Then there's a, the old sausage sermon. Some of you, some of you expositor old sausage sermons. You just, you know, the old... Link sausage, you just cut it, you know, cut it, cut it. Well, folks, let's open up where we left off last Sunday. Verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 3, the middle of the verse. Let's pick it up now. This is a post-positive day here. Let's continue now the discussion. And then you preach for 40, oh, time is up. Let's stop right here. We'll pick it up next week. What kind of a sermon is that? What is that sausage sermon? No beginning, no end. It just... What is and, and some people love it. Oh, those two or three nuts, they love it. But nobody else. I mean, what is this? See, that is not a sermon. A sermon has a beginning and has an end. It begins and it grows and it goes someplace. Which reminds me of the fourth sermon, the, the nowhere sermon. That goes nowhere. Goes nowhere. You should, you should be like a good, a good bus. This is, this is bus 56 going to downtown L.A., Wilshire Boulevard. Oh, like a good airline. This is flight 568 going from L.A. to Seattle. Okay, destination. You're sermon the same thing. You know, the text is like we, we began this sermon, giving you the point and the purpose of it. See, in... Every sermon should, have, should be going someplace. Some sermons are going, they go nowhere. And no particular place you want to take them except just expose the text. Expose the text. And then, then there's a Twinkie sermon. <laughs> See, you guys, some of you guys preach these Twinkie sermons. They please everybody and offend no one. It's like a nice Twinkie. I love Twinkies. <laughs> I love them, you know, folks. In my, they, even, they even give me Twinkie for, for Christmas, you know what I'm saying? But they are like, they're sweet and they're good to eat, but they'll kill you, you know what I'm saying? This, you don't want to make sermons that, that actually speak to people. Then there's a zombie sermon. Zombie sermon given by a dead preacher to a dying audience. Friend, you, you, you've got to be, you've got to be alive. 
I was talking to one of our deacons the other day, and it's after service, and he, asked, he says, Pastor, you must be tired when you get through preaching. I says, yeah, I'm tired. And then you go home and you come back at night. You must be really tired. I says, I am. I can tell because you, when you preach, when you, preach you put some ganas into it. You know, this ganas is Spanish. In English, it's called ganas. No, but to, <laughs> it means you put your heart into it. You put your soul into it. And friends, you know, when you, you, need, to, you need to preach, Preach in such a way. And so when you look at the text here, Paul is identifying. When you preach, Timothy, preach. Make sure that this is something that involves your methodology, the way you deliver the message. Number one, he says, preach with authority. Preach with authority. That's why I'm admonishing you, admonishing you. The preaching that builds the church, the preaching that comes from the heart of God, Delivered through the man of God, delivered with the authority that comes from God that he bestows upon the preacher. See, you need to have a sense of authority. In 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, the apostle Paul admonishes Timothy because Timothy was a timid guy. He, was, he needed to be reminded. He says in verse 11 of chapter 4, prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness. Let no one despise you because you're young. Listen, Timothy, don't let anybody rob you of, of authority. Listen to this, gentlemen. Listen to this. He says, uh, he says, lawyers should never ask a Georgia grandmother a question if they're not prepared for the answer. In a trial, a southern small town prosecuting attorney called his first witness a grandmotherly elderly woman to the stand. He approached her and he asked her, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? And she responded, why, yes, I do know you, Mr. Wilson. I've known you since you were a boy. And frankly, you're a bin, you've been a big disappointment to me. <laughs> you lie, you cheat on your wife, and you manipulate people, and you talk about them behind their backs. You think you're a big shot when you haven't the brains to realize you'll never amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, I know you. <laughs> the lawyer was stunned. Not knowing what else to do, he pointed to across the room and he asked, Mrs. Jones, do you know the defense attorney? And again, she replied, why, yes, I do. I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a youngster, too. He is lazy, bigoted. He has a drinking problem. He can't build a normal relationship with anyone. And his law practice is one of the worst in the entire state. Not to mention he cheated on his wife with three different women. One of them was your wife. Yes, I know him. The defense attorney nearly died. The judge, the judge asked both counselors to approach the bench. In a very quiet voice, he said, If either of you idiots ask her if she knows me, I'll send you both to the electric chair. 
Now, that's called authority, right? That's authority. And some of us don't have that authority. Don't have that authority. Now, Paul is saying, listen, 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 Timothy. You need to to recognize where authority comes from. Don't let anyone minimize you. Anyone despise you. Anyone put you down because and diminish your authority. No, here's what you need to do. And here, gentlemen, is where authority comes from. He says, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. You know, it's our life that backs up your message. Your authority comes from your life to live what you believe. Even Mr. Baxter, along with with Mr. Brooks, warned us, do not let your life contradict what you say in the pulpit. No, be the same man, be the same person. Be an example of the believer. It says in verse 13, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, exhortation and a teaching. Let this book be the book that gives you the authority. You might be young. I began ministering at First Fundamental when I was 26 years of age. We had one little child, and, and it was real young, and sometimes people didn't accept my teaching because I was young. They were older than I was. But you know, friend, your authority comes not from your age. It comes from the Word of God. When you're preaching, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. In those days, I was really King James, thus saith the Lord. You know what I'm saying? I went, I went, went down south. You know what I'm saying? I, this is what God is saying. And so you master the book. This is the book. This is the book that you're an authority on, the Word of God. And you wield it with that kind of authority. Verse 14, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. He says, listen, you're called to the ministry, your divine calling. You're there because I have sent you. You're not there because this or that. You recognize your authority comes because God has sent you. Verse 15 says, be absorbed in your ministry. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. The whole idea of of absorbed, preoccupied with the main task, which is the Word of God. He says, this is what what needs to happen to you. You need to be a man totally absorbed in your ministry. Pay a close attention, verse 16, to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. Hang in there. Hang in there. Listen, people, listen, some of you guys, you quit too soon. Folks, you know, start, start... talking against you, and, and, and they email you, and they Facebook you, and, and stuff. I read about a pastor committed suicide because people on Facebook were criticizing his ministry. Oh, what a sad commentary. And, the, and there's wicked people like that. And the lowest type of varmin is the one that uses Facebook to produce his stuff. You can't get any lower than that. You're like in the cesspool of humanity to do that. What a weak individual that wouldn't talk face-to-face with you. But listen, friend, you're the preacher. You cannot last them all. You have a reason to be here. He might come and sit in the very first pew just to look at you. Well, friend, you're going to outlast him. You're going to preach right there. I'm talking to you, fool. Oh, man. Oh, man. Amen. 
Oh. I'm starting to get wound up here. I don't want to do that, friends. Go to chapter 4. Look at chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. He says, not only preach with authority, preach with boldness. Preach with boldness. Listen, listen, Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. You know, that calls for boldness. Boldness. The church is being threatened on all sides. There's all kinds of stuff threatening the church. Yeah, there's all people want to destroy the church. The left wants to destroy the church. Satan wants to destroy it. People want to destroy it. We have a a zillion enemies. And it calls for bold preaching to stand and defend the church. Don't let someone destroy it. Oh, you got to be zealous. And it calls for boldness. Boldness doesn't mean you're not afraid. You're afraid. Every, Every sound preacher is afraid. But God gives us courage. And courage is overcoming your fears. And that's boldness. To put your fears under control and then to to preach with that boldness. Where does it come from? Well, Paul tells Timothy, remember, remember that the only person you need to fear is God. I'm telling you, Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God. In your preaching, you preach to an audience of one. You preach to please God. That's all. You don't have to please Mrs. Smith down here. Or preach the, the nominating committee or the board or anybody else or the, or the young people. No, no. You have to please God. As long as God is pleased, everything's fine. So the only person we fear is you fear God. You fear God. And you learn not to fear circumstances. Don't fear the circumstances. That's why he says preach in season and out of season. I mean, in other words, go for it. Go for it. You know, my motto is, have Bible, will travel. That's my motto. That's it. I got a Bible. You know what? I'm going. My audience is the world, and my pulpit is any place I can lean my Bible. That's it. That's my world, and my pulpit is anything where I can put my Bible on it. That's in other words, you fear no circumstance. Listen. Nobody tells me, you know, there's, there's men in, here in the church, you can talk to them. No man tells me when to preach, where to preach, or what to preach. No. If, a, if, the, song, if the song leader has five songs and he's taking too much time, I say, scratch two songs, I'm only singing three. <laughs> yeah, and he doesn't get upset. He realizes the sermon is the center of it. Yeah. If I want to go over time, I go over time. You know what? Too bad. No, 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 don't, no, don't try it too often, you know what I'm saying? But... <laughs> yeah, you learn, and you learn to fear no man. You don't fear man. You know, don't, you, you, you don't fear their criticism. And folks may not like it. May not like it, but you know, friend, if you don't want to be criticized, say nothing, do nothing, and be nothing. You're going to be criticized. You're criticized. And every man has a style. Some of you are sitting here this, this right now. You say, oh, this is Shepherd Conference. He's not preaching like John MacArthur. No, no, this is Montoya. Did you read it? Did you read it? Yeah. Montoya. See, that's what it says. See, 
There's going to be opposition. There's going to be opposition. <laughs> Folks are not always going to respond well to the word. I don't respond. Sometimes there's stuff in the book I don't like. Well, I've got to preach that, God? Yeah, woo-hoo. I don't even like it. We'll preach it anyway. And sometimes I preach and I say, Montoya, this is for you, Montoya. This is for you. You've got to do it. Preaching to myself. This is it. You're not always, there'll be opposition to you. And, and, and then you'll be rejected. Sometimes people will leave. People will leave. I preached a sermon Sunday. Psh, I don't know what happened. I'm, I'm starting Romans 6 on sanctification. I just felt the need to preach on the true believer. What is the mark on there? Our deja visa believism. Everybody claims to be a Christian. Everybody. Even your friend Oprah claims to be a Christian. You know, you know, you know they all claim to be believers. Obama, the whole works. Trump. You know what? There is a true Christian. And I turned the ship around, lowered all the guns, and fired away. Fired away. <laughs> and I said, some of you are going to leave, and you ain't coming back. I'm sorry, but you got to hear the truth. Some of you are going to change churches. You're going to go join, you know, some other. You know, you're going to find somebody else. You know, you're going to go to somebody else. Oh, yeah. Listen, listen. Listen. Oh, yeah. Listen, you... You need to be bold. Just be bold. Preach. Don't preach your stuff. Preach God's word. And you can be as bold as you want to because that's what the book says. Thirdly, you need to preach with urgency. Urgency. You see, there's a sense of, of things need to be done. And Paul says, listen, the time will come, Timothy, when they will not endure sound doctrine. Wonder to have their ears tickled. They'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. This, this, these are hard days, people. And there's dangers that, are, that the church is facing. You know, sin is rampant. Sin is ugly. ugly. We just had this big old thing about the guy killing these people in Florida and all big uproar and stuff like that. Last year, 50,000 people died of overdose, drug overdose. 50,000 of them. Who's flipping up on that one? Where are all the demonstrations on that baby? Where are all the stuff going on? And that's just, that's just one of many, many things that our people are facing. It's called sin. It's called sin. And there's an urgency for us to preach and to remind our people that sin is deadly and sin is ugly. And there's an urgency about that. The urgency of, of the treachery of false doctrine. You recall the Apostle Paul, at least in two passages that I know of, in Acts 20 and Philippians 3, when he warns against false teachers coming in. He says, I, I'm telling these things with tears flowing from my, my eyes of the treachery of false doctrine. It is everywhere. We need to teach sound truth with an urgency about it. We need to be concerned about the apathy of hell-bound sinners, even folks in our own church. They come in, they have an exercise like in churchianity, like it come in and just go through like another, like watching another sitcom. It can't be that. There's a sense of urgency. Every sermon should be like Richard Baxter said, I'm preaching like a dying man to dying men as though never to preach again. Never to preach again. We can't stand for apathy. How dare we? How dare we have people in our audience to even just 
just kind of lull. Don't, don't ever let that happen. Don't let anybody sleep underneath your preaching. You find some fool sitting over here with his eyes, call him out. Hey, you, sir, I'm talking to you now. I'm talking to you. <laughs> you know, you need to walk around. You know what I'm saying? Get down there and, and talk to people about what's taking place. Yes or no? Listen, teenager. Hey, Johnny, I'm talking to you, Johnny. Don't be laughing like that. I'm talking to you. See, that's urgency. Ain't nobody sleeps. Ain't nobody sleeps. You sleep in my audience, friend, you're doomed. <laughs> and the sense of urgency, Paul says, listen, you need to live with a sense of urgency. That's why he says in verse 5, and you be sober in all things, endure hardship, fulfill your ministry. Preachers, we need to have a sober life, single-mindedness. Single-mindedness. I am a preacher of the word. I'm a pastor of a church. That's all. That's all. You need to be sacrificial. Sacrificial. Endure hardships. Listen, people. Listen, preachers. Listen, people. The ministry, the pastorate is no place for crybabies and wimps. No. If you're looking for a nice, easy job, go sell drugs. Don't get into the ministry. (laughs) Find something else to do. But don't get into this vocation. Endure hardship. Some of you are seminary students. You're here. And you, uh, you're going to be tested because, you see, God's going to ask you to abandon the stuff of this life, the comforts of life, to go out and do a job for God to preach his word. And so he says, endure hardship. And you need to do that. Just make the resolve to sacrifice all the stuff of life that you might be able to gain souls. And then live a a solemn life. Fulfill your ministry, what God has called you. It's interesting that that the the testimony of fulfill your ministry says to Timothy, look at me. I'm already ready to be poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I've, I've, I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Listen, Timothy, I have fulfilled my ministry. You do it too. And then fourthly, friends, preaching that builds the church is to preach evangelistically. Interesting, verse 5. Listen, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Listen, preachers, preaching that builds the church builds it numerically. It needs to grow numerically. More bodies, more faces, more souls converted. And we're killing the church because we we don't preach to save sinners anymore. We don't preach to breathe. We don't preach to the unconverted. We don't preach to turn people to Christ. And I'm asking you, why don't we do that? I'll tell you why. Number one, because some of us have bad theology. Our theology's tweaked. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, Brother Montoya, God doesn't care about numbers. He just cares about quality. Friend, have you read your Bible? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. <laughs> Talk to me now. Let me ask you, how many, how many souls were converted when Peter preached his first sermon? How many? Huh. And God doesn't care about numbers? You bet he, he does. How many sheep were in the fold 
that caused him to go out and find one that was lost. 99. 99 people. You see, God cares. God cares. It matters. And so understand that. And so you say, well, well, preaching is just for the edification of the church. We preach to the saints, and then we scatter to go. Yeah, really? No. Preaching is for the preaching of the gospel, too. You know, he says in Matthew, Mark 16, go in all all the world and preach the gospel. Acts 6, 4, we'll devote ourselves to the word and to prayer. The word there is evangelism and preaching to the lost. That's the context of of that text. We say, you know, but but, but, Brother Montoya, you know, God has his elect. He'll save them in his own time. Yes, election is God's business. Evangelism is your business. Yes or no? How did you win your wife? How did you win your wife? Did you say, God has chosen you for me? You told her that with all the bad breath coming out, unshaved, huh? broke. Is that, is that how you, with a piece of cactus in your hand? Is that how you did it? No, friend, you were as Arminian as it could ever be. Talk to me now, fool. Talk to me now. Talk to me now. Oh, listen, listen, listen. Get, get your theology straight, friend. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I don't want to be guilty of easy believism. You know, calling people to salvation, all that. I just don't want to give an invitation because, really, really, did you follow Jesus? Have you followed him? He always gave invitations. Always invited sinners, come unto me. Always gave an invitation. Listen, it's not your, it's not your business. I was preaching in Skid Row years ago when I first started preaching. And I was preaching to this crowd here in front. It was waxing away. And then I gave an invitation for those to come to receive Christ. And, and nobody came. But way in the back, in the darkness, this man came up. A drunken bum came up and gave his heart to Christ. I never... I, didn't even see him. He heard the message, and I never saw him. And he came to Christ. We prayed together. Came back the next Saturday night to preach again. And there he was, just like the gathering demoniac, dressed in a suit and in his right mind. Hmm? See, that's God's business. Let's get your theology straight. He says, do the work of an evangelist. Let's get compassionate. You get a, you know, Jesus saw the multitudes and he felt compassion for them. He welcomed them. He wept for them. He loved them. He died for them. Let me ask you, friend, when was the last time you wept for lost people? When was the last time you actually broke down and wept for lost people? I submit to you, let's, evangelism is, is our job description. We can't be disobedient. Paul said, if I preach the gospel willingly, I got a reward. But if unwillingly, I have to do it. It's a stewardship given to me. I have no, oblig- I have no other alternative. I need to preach the gospel. It's your job description. You cannot be a pastor and not be involved in preaching the gospel. So I'd say, sir, 
If you have diminishing returns, if your church is suffering some, some decline, if there's a sense of apathy, get out there. Devote some of your time to get out and just knock on doors and go out soul winning. Go confront lost souls. Get somebody saved around this place. Mobilize your church. Get some little clubs out there soul winning and, and lead them out. And do something. Don't just little groups of Bible study. Let's go out there and get some souls saved and bring someone to Christ. You know, find, find the text. Every time you preach the word, find the text. There's always a text in your text that has blood in it. Oh, find the blood. Find the cross. And when you find the cross, bleed it. Let the pulpit just be overflowing with blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. And preach the gospel to people in your church, in the audience. Have a fountain filled with blood, with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And every sinner that's plunged beneath that blood always cleansed from his guilty stains. You know, that's, have it there. Every, you should always be able to preach. Oh, be like that fellow that said, Lord, give me souls or I die. How can you live with yourself? In a dying church, having little committee meetings on what to do next. What kind of coffin shall we buy? <laughs> Listen, you got a choice to make this, this afternoon. What kind of preacher are you going to be? What kind of elder are you going to be? What kind of man of God are you going to be? Are you going to be a caretaker of God's church or the undertaker of the church? Are you going to grow the church under your ministry or will it die under your ministry? Will you celebrate or will you perform its funeral and give it its last rites? Listen, only you can decide that. But God wants his church to grow. Would you bow your head for just a moment? And talk to God. Our Father, thank you for your church. It is your most prized possession. You shed your blood for it. And we are pleased to be a part of it. Many of us here are church leaders. Many of us are pastors. Oh God, encourage us, revive us, motivate us, teach us to go back and build your church of which the gates of hell will never, ever, ever prevail against it. We ask it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.